It's a joy to be here today, and uh, for you guests and members who are brave enough to stay, we'll open God's Word now. If you would, open your Bible to uh, Mark, the sixth chapter. I want to share with you, beginning in verse 45, and we'll just read that one section in there, down through verse 52. Mark 6. Verses 45 through 52. This is what it says. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them being battered as they rode, because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them, walking in the sea, and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking in the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that we can gather here to worship you today. Father, we've offered our songs of worship and praise to you. Father, we do that with joyous hearts. We've given our tithes and offerings to you to demonstrate our love and our support of the ministries and work that you ordained this church to do. Father, we've taken time to pray in worship of you, realizing that you are the God who hears our prayers. And Father, we come now to the time of opening your word together. Father, we want to express our worship of you by asking you to speak to our hearts to touch our very lives with your word this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, are we miracle believing people? I wonder about that sometimes. In the day in which we live, uh, we have a thing that I think kind of discount miracles because of uh, so many other things that seem almost miraculous in themselves. For instance, technology. Uh, when you look at technology, it seems almost miraculous. Some of you can remember pre-television, when all it was was the radio. Some of you may remember early television, black and white. My earliest remembrance of television was a Zenith, I think was the brand, that sat on a wrought iron stand with a swivel on it, and you could swivel that big old box. So uh, you could watch it any place in the room, and if you were, if you were really uh, blessed, your, your bedroom was next to your living room, you just rotate that television around so you can see it in bed. You know, you only had one television back then in your house. And then you move through the color television stage, and then you get into, you know, recently, it, now the debate is, do you have an LCD or an LED television? And, uh, you know, we go through all that routine. I remember, how many of you remember reading the paper? You may have been there when they did the uh, husband calling contest the other day out of the fairground for whatever event was going on. I really thought that's outdated. If, if my wife wanted to call me, she'd just pick up her phone and call. There'd be no, Randy! 
It'd just be pick up the phone and call. We are so technology-oriented in so many things that touch so much of our lives in different places, even in the medical profession, that we sometimes have a tendency to overlook the miracles of God that happen on a daily occasion in our lives. Think about that for a minute. Every day, God is at work in your life. And every day, He's in the business of working some kind of miracle that you may not even identify because your mind is turned off to the wonderful power of God as he works in his life. As I begin to ponder that, God, God said to me, look at this passage of scripture, right? because there are some important things here that help us understand about miracles. So I want us to take just a brief look at it today as we talk about miracles. And hopefully, you and I can begin to see how we can identify God when he's at work in, in our lives and the miracles he does. And one of the first things I think you and I can learn from this passage of scripture is that we need to keep looking up. Let's set the tone for this just a minute. Here the disciples have been with Jesus. If you go back and read the rest of the chapter, they've been with Jesus. They've, they've seen him doing miracles. They've, they've spent their, their entire day with him as well as days before that. And so it comes time to the end of the day. And Jesus says to them, fellas, tell you what, you all get in the boat and head over to the other side. You all, that's southern Illinois, I think. You all get in the boat and head over to the other side, and I'll meet you over there. I'm going to get rid of the crowd, and then I'm going to hang around and pray with my father, and I'll see you over the other side. Now, I don't know about you, you, but when I, you know, if, if I would have been there, the first question in my mind would have been, and uh, how you getting there, Lord? But they didn't ask that question. They got in the boat, and they began rowing. Now, let's set the stage. It's evening. It's calm. They might have gotten in the boat and began, row, row, row your boat gently across the lake. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. I mean, it's been an ideal day. Everything's calm. They begin to row across the water. And the discussion was probably about what they'd, what they'd seen and observed as they spent the day with Jesus, particularly as he fed those 5,000 men plus the women and children who were there. And that must have been going through their mind. And as they begin to, to talk about those things and row across the sea, you and I can read the scripture what happens. The winds pick up. And the, and the word of God tells us The boat, in verse 47, when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then, verse 48, he saw them being battered as they rode, because the wind was against them. It's about three in the morning when all this happens. And so all of a sudden, that calm, peaceful sea begins to roll up a few ways. Add nothing for some fishermen at the oars. But all of a sudden, those little waves get bigger. And you begin to see the fishermen eye each other. Hey, fellas. This doesn't look good. And pretty soon, they begin to look out and they see a few white caps out there in the waves. Now, if you're a boater, you know that's not a good thing. And then, as those waves begin to increase in size, they begin, in size, they begin to watch the water slosh into the boat. 
And all of a sudden, they begin to think, this is not a good situation. In the meantime, Jesus is still back on land. The scripture tells us in verse 47 that he sees them from the land. And as he's praying with the Father, and he begins to make his movement toward them on the sea. Now, here's what's going to happen in your life and mine. When the sea is bad and you and I are rowing through the troubles of our life, our concentration is on the process of rowing and the problems in our life. You and I would row like this. And we'd be looking all around us, trying to see which way is going to batter us next, where things were coming from. Had the disciples to do that, they'd have missed. They would have missed Jesus on the water. Think about that for me. Because the scripture tells us, look again at it, the scripture tells us that his intent was to pass them by. Verse 48 again, he came toward them walking the sea and wanted to pass by them. You see, he wasn't concerned about the storm. He knew they'd make it to the other side. They're busy rowing, and one of them happens to look up. So here's the first thing you need to understand about seeing God at work. Keep looking up. Don't focus so much on the problems in your life on the storms around you, or trying to get through them, that you fail to see the presence of the Father in your life. That's one of the main things you and I have to keep in mind. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. If you and I don't do that, we're going to miss God at work in our lives. The next thing I want you to see from this passage is you need to be enthusiastic and expectant. Now, you kind of have to begin to try to read through some lines about this and pick up some of the scriptures, but you can do it. He saw them in verse 48, being battered as they rode because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass them by. When they saw him walking in the water on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. You're old enough to remember a guy by the name of Oral Roberts had a television show. A television. How many of you remember? You ever watch Oral Roberts on television? Yeah. One of his things was one of his slogans was expect a miracle. And another one was uh, God is going to do something good in your life today. You don't need to understand the importance of that. And to fill this in, if you go back and look at the other Gospels, here's what else is going on in this. Remember a guy by the name of Peter who's in this boat this time? He sees Jesus walking on the water. Jesus says to him, be not afraid, it is I. And Jesus says to them, what? Or Peter says to Jesus, what? Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. Now, i got a whole other sermon on this, but here's, here's the main points of it. Number one, Jesus just simply issues a one-word command. Come. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are faithful enough to believe enough in God that if he issues a one-word command in the seas of difficulty, in the storms of life, and says come, 
that you're willing to get out of the boat. That's a tough quote. You know, every time I look at that, uh, uh, Peter's response to that, I think, man, I don't know that I could do that. Come on, Peter, come. Uh, excuse me, Lord, do you have any more words? Uh, come? Give me a couple more. <laughs> like, how about still in the storm first? Uh, how about, uh, Peter, as you step out of the boat, put your left leg out first, and about six inches beyond your left leg, there is a hidden tree stump that you'll put your foot on. You know, that's the kind of thing I'm going to be looking for. But Peter just says, Okay, Lord, he gets out of the boat. And you and I know the story. As long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, everything is fine. Contrast that. But we, you know, we give Peter a lot of junk about taking his eyes off Jesus. But just remember, there's 11 other guys still in the boat who weren't expected enough or enthusiastic enough to see the potential to join Jesus outside the boat. And they missed the, the miracle of themselves walking on the water. Do you understand the significance of that? You and I watch people experience miracles in their lives all the time. And God issues those simple little commands to us, follow me, come, do this, do that. You and I are waiting for more expectation, more uh, explanation, and God just simply says, do it. Maybe that's where that shoe commercial got that slogan, just do it. Somebody read the Bible. Just do it. And you and I are not enthusiastic and expectant about that at all. We're not looking for God to issue a one-word command. We're not looking for God to, to deal with some, some things in our lives. And we're not very enthusiastic when he tells us what to do about it. And the result of that is you and I miss daily miracles in our lives every day. If you and I want to see miracles, must, not unless we look up. But we need to be enthusiastic and expect, and expect God to do something in your life and mine. When I was a kid, I mowed grass from the time I was nine years old until I was old enough to get a job at working for Kroger. And uh, in the winter, we lived in northern Illinois, in the winter I tried to Shovel snow. Now, for you young people, that's before they had things like snow blowers and self-propelled lawnmowers. So doing snow in northern Illinois was not a really pleasant job to do. I thought, well, I know how to fix that. I, I found a, something in a magazine for kids that says, sell greeting cards. I thought, I can do that. That's not nearly as hard as... as uh, you know, moving snow in the winter. So I sent off, they sent me this book, looks kind of like a high school annual, and you open it up, and there's all kinds of, you know, one page I have a front of the greeting card, one page, and then it'll show the inside of it, so everybody knows what they're buying. Here's my sales approach. You wouldn't want to buy any greeting cards, would you? Why are you all laughing? See, you think that's funny. But that's the way we approach God about miracles in our life, isn't it? God, 
You know, I'm really having tough, and, and I know you're the miracle-working God, but you really want to work a miracle in my life, would you? And God looked over the top of his glasses. Well, if he wore glasses, I guess he's got perfect vision. If you look over the top of his glasses and say, uh, excuse me, uh, where's your faith? Where's your expectancy? You know, I need to understand. We need to keep looking up. And we need to be enthusiastic and expectant. Well, here's the tough one. Not only, must we, not only must, must we need to keep looking up, not only must we need to be enthusiastic and expectant, but we must need to be committed. It's full committed, not just part. Again, the disciples are out there in the boat. And go back to that occasion of Peter again. And he gets out of the boat. He was committed to doing the will of God. And he steps out of the boat, simply on the word come. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was totally committed to following him. May I suggest to you we are not like that? And you cannot do that and experience the miracles of God in your life. You just can't. And uh, I'm just going to shorten the illustration. When, when, I, when I married my wife, and I, it, was that, it was that occasion where I asked her to marry me, if I had, if I had proposed to her, brought the ring out, and the proposal would have, would have gone something like this, Sweetheart, I want, you, I want to ask you to be my wife. We've talked about it for a long time, and you've even picked the ring out. But there is one thing I need to tell you, that I've got a big heart, and there's a lot of love in it. And uh, I need to share that love with a lot of women. What do you think her response would have been? I doubt she'd let me even take her home from the rest of that night. I can fetch you and say, that's all right. I'll call my daddy, and you find somebody else. Now, I want you to apply that for a minute to your relationship with the Lord. He has asked you to be committed to him. To follow him 100% to give your entire heart, your life to him. And if you want to see the work of God in your life, May I submit to you that you do that by being committed to Him? You'll never experience the fullness of God in your life. You'll never experience the miracles that God wants to bring into your life until you are fully committed to Him. There's no halfway about it. There's no maybe about it. No marriage survives without total commitment of the husband and wife with each other. When I was in high school, they had this thing they called, I think they called it something about family life or sex education or something, and we weren't real graphic back then, so we didn't get into all this stuff about sexual stuff today. But I do remember the teacher saying, marriage is a 50-50. And she stopped and said, well, no, it's not. It's a 70-30. You better be putting 70% in and your spouse will put 30% in. i got news for you. got news for her. It's not 50-50. It's not 70-30. It's 100-100 for a successful marriage. You better be putting 100% in your marriage if you want to be successful. If you want your relationship with God to be successful, He's always putting 100% in your life. He's asking you to put 100% in return in following Him.
And not until you do will you experience and see the miracles of God in your life. Keep looking up. Be enthusiastic and expectant. Be committed. directly out of this passage of Scripture. Let me show you. For they saw, but the, for they, <clears throat> verse 50, but for they all saw, saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got in the boat with them and the wind ceased. Look what it says. They were completely astounded, my translation says, because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Here's a scenario I want you to picture in your mind. They are fearful about the waves, and that's not bad enough. They see Jesus walking the water, and for a bunch of superstitious men, in that day and age, at that time, this was not a good thing. And Jesus says then, be not afraid, it's I, he gets the boat, and the wind ceases. And the scripture tells us they were astounded. And the implication is, why? What was there to be astounded about? These men were living their lives with Jesus. Let me talk to you about total commitment again. When Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, they left all and followed him. Did you ever wonder about that fishing thing? I've been reading the book of Luke in my daily reading. And here you have Jesus by the lakeside. He says to the guys, to uh, Peter and Andrew, he says, Hey guys, uh, put out in the water and we're going to catch some fish. <laughs> Peter says, uh, Yeah, we've been out all night. Haven't caught a thing. Fish aren't biting. Hey, what let's do? Let's just, well, no, okay. You say it, we'll do it. They go out and they drop their nets exactly where Jesus tells them. And the scriptures tell us that the nets were full to breaking. Now, I have a suspicion that was not a normal occurrence for them. That was the first miracle they'd experienced in their lives. And that's not enough. But they call James and John out in their boats. Hey, what's going on here? We got too many fish. And the scriptures tell us they filled two boats almost to the point of sinking. They were so full. Now I have a suspicion in my mind, though I can't prove it scripturally, that those catches were so unusual that they basically, when they sold their fish, they fed their families, and they didn't have to worry about their families while they were following Jesus. But from that day on, they did not turn back. They followed Jesus everywhere he went. They observed every detail of his actions. They listened to him teach not only in public, in scenarios like this, where, where people would come and listen, but in the privateness of the night. He would sit down with them 
and explained to them what he had taught the crowds and fleshed that out, building them up to be future leaders. So it's kind of astounding to me that Jesus has been teaching all day. He's taken loaves and fishes, divided them up, and fed 5,000 people. And the scripture is very clear. It's not that, that they found these loaves and fishes and everybody said, well, gee, if that, if that young man's going to give his loaves and fishes, we ought to give ours. The scripture says that Jesus took those loaves, those fishes, broke those loaves and those fishes, fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm wondering what's wrong with the disciples in this. When, when they see this, they're out here on the lake, they're talking about it, and then the storm comes up. You and I would think that the correct response would be, well, gee, guys, look, we got a storm going on here, and uh, uh, if something doesn't happen, we're going to get swamped. But you know what? We just saw Jesus feed 5,000 men plus women and children. If he can do that, he can take care of our needs. Let's just, let's just call him his name right now. Did he do the scripture says they were completely astounded as though the Lord couldn't calm the storm. You know, it, it's not so much the feeling of 5,000 men that gets me. It's the fact that he could talk the disciples in to talking them in to sitting down in groups of 50 and 100. I mean, they obviously were Baptists because you can't work together that well. And if it's feeding time, man, sometimes I stood at a, at a church where they're, where they're having a fellowship meal and kind of wondered who's going to get the line first and look like they're in a hurry to get there. So there's a lot going on that day. And you think the disciples would say, man, we got it made. We know the guy who fed 5,000 men plus the women and children with just a few loaves and fishes, and if he can do that, he can, he can calm this water. Lord! We're in trouble out here. Can you calm the waters for us? No. And the indictment comes in the end of that verse. Instead, their hearts were hardened. What's that scripture telling you? Simply this. They missed the miracle. Not just the 5,000, but they missed the miracle there. To really understand what Jesus had done in their lives. Now, why is that significant? Because you and I are going to miss miracles in our lives if we don't look back once in a while to see God work. To see where God has already worked miracles in our lives. I know we tell you all the time, don't look back, don't look back, move forward. And I agree with that. Except once in a while to look to move forward, you have to look back to see where you come from. And to see how God has worked in your life. One of those difficult days, you're wondering if, if you really had experience with Christ. Look back in your life to that time when, when you had that experience and you know for sure that Jesus touched your life that day. And it will strengthen you for the day. Wondering if God's still working miracles? Look back in your life to the miracles He's worked in your life. 
I, you know, we just miss it. And you and I need to look back and see the work of God in our lives. For years, I've pinned a lot of my faith in God on somebody else's miracle. Because it was just, and just blew my mind. My father was a minister, and uh, my father pastored small single staff churches all his life. Uh, I didn't, I can't remember the miracle. I just have heard my mom and dad talk about it. Because I was a preschooler then. But uh, my my dad came from a family of 12 living kids. Two died in infancy. There were 12 living. And so my, my grandparents, my dad's parents, they, for the most of their life, my dad grew up, you know, either they were atheists or they were agnostics. Most of them are now believers. Several are in the ministry. Children and grandchildren. But my grandparents, would, they did this great thing. Church, you get out of Sunday school and walk into church, and there'd be my grandmother, my grandfather, and however many kids were at home and had come that day. And uh, we lived in a small community. That's before McDonald's. Today, KFC, Burger King, uh, Applebee's, Golden Corral, none of that stuff. You went home to eat lunch on Sunday. So mother rushed home to get food ready. Right after service was done, they'd go home and she'd rush around trying to get things ready. And on one of those occasions, my dad told the story that they had a car and they could not afford to put tires on the car. Now again, you know, you're talking about 50 early 50s. Remember the cars in the early 50s? You could put a house in the trunk. My grandpa said to my dad, let's walk outside for a minute. Walked out and opened the trunk. And he had four tires in there for my dad's car. Dad had not said anything about needing tires. But God graciously, graciously provided the tires for his car. You know, I leaned on that, looked back at that for a long time as a child growing up, as a youth growing up, until I began to watch the miracles that God was working in my own life. You know, I need to understand the principle of that. We'll miss today's miracles sometimes because we've lost hope. And we need to look back and see how God has continuously provided for us in our lives and the miracles he has worked. You see, some of you are testimonies of the miraculous work of God in your life. You've had some experiences. And there are others who are wondering if God still works miracles and they may need to hear your testimony. There are some of you who are struggling today wondering if God still works miracles because it's been a while since you've actually experienced a miraculous work of God in your life that you can identify. Hear that? That you can identify. It doesn't mean God hasn't worked miracles. It's just that you haven't identified them. And you need to look back 
and see where God has worked miracles in your life and how he's brought you to where you are so that you can see the miracles of God today. Four simple things. Keep looking up. Don't focus so much on the problems of your life, on the, on the seas that are besetting you, on just trying to stay afloat, that you don't look up and look for the presence of the Lord in your life. Be enthusiastic and expect Expect a miracle. Expect God to be doing something in your life. Don't be, Lord, you don't want to do anything in my life, do you? Trust Him to really take hold of your life. Be enthusiastic and be expected. Look for the miracle in your life. Third, be committed. You can't have one foot trying to serve mammon, the things of this world, Satan, and one foot trying to serve our Lord. It's 100%. If you want to see God work in your life, be sure you're committed to the God who works the miracles. Finally, look back once in a while. Look back. Remember when they crossed the sea, they put those stones in the water and on the bank to be memory stones? For the children later on to say, see, this is where God worked a miracle and brought us through the water. Look back at those stones in your mind. This is where God worked a miracle and brought me through this difficulty in my mind. And I am so thankful that I am following that miracle working God. And you know if you did it then, you can do it now. And I'm going to trust him for the miracle and watch for God at work in my life. I'm convinced most of us miss miracles because one of these four reasons. We're not looking at looking up for the Lord who works the miracles. We're not enthusiastically and expecting Him to do anything in our lives. We just don't believe that He really loves us enough to do that. Or His power is great enough to work that kind of miracle in our life. Or we're just not committed to the one who works the miracles. Or because we can't see them, we don't believe He's working miracles. And we haven't looked back to see how he's working in our life. So let me ask you this. Is God still working miracles? Sure he is. Is he working miracles in your life? Sure he is. You just may not be able to see that. Because your mind and heart and life isn't focused on him. If you want to see God working miracles, then you need to be looking for his miraculous work. God wants to do something great in your life today. He wants to do something great in our world. And until we as God's people expect him to do something and we follow him with whole hearts, we're not going to see the miracles that God has in store for us. He's just waiting on you and I to come into his presence. How about you? You're looking for a miracle? You're looking for a miracle? Keep looking up. Be enthusiastic and expectant. Be committed and look back once in a while. And if you'll do that, I'm convinced you'll see the miracles of God every day in your life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for 
your word. Father, you remind us that you are still the God of miracles. You still want to work miracles. And Father, sometimes we just miss it because, hey, we're just not looking for you. We're just not very enthusiastic and excited about what you might do. Father, we're not committed. Father, we don't even want to look back and see where you worked already in our lives. And today you reminded us that if, if, if we're going to fully look to, to you, to see you do things, then, Father, we've got to change our perspective and trust you completely. Father, there may be one here today who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, we've come to the time of invitation. Father, you're inviting them right now to make that decision in their life. There are men and women here at this church who will come today to counsel them about how to make that decision if they'll only ask. So, Father, I would pray that that person who needs to know Jesus would simply come to the altar today and allow one of these men and women to explain to them how they can receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, there are some here today who may need to make a decision about becoming part of this church family. This is where they worship you. Father, this is this is home to them. And yet, Father, they really haven't made a commitment to invest their lives in the ministries of this church. Father, you're speaking to them about that today. They need to come to the altar and share with this church that you have called them to be part of this family. Father, there are probably many here today who are struggling with miracles in their lives, wondering if you're there for them, if you're still going to work a miracle, if you still have the power to do that, Father, even if you want to. And today this message has, has touched their lives, and, and they know that, Father, you are still the same God who wants to work miracles in their lives, the same God who has worked miracles in their lives already. And, Father, they just need to repent and trust you. Father, they may be making that decision today, right where they sit now or where they'll stand in a minute. Father, you have brought us to this place today because you have a word for us. And Father, may we embrace your word and respond accordingly to you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.